0: I think one of the reasons that people tend to struggle with this and why they tend to think marketing is their problem is because the first step to sort of figuring out how to improve your sales process is by doing some personal internal reflection and probably being honest with yourself that you suck at the sales process. What's going on, guys? Welcome to today's episode of the Collecting Keys Real Estate Investing podcast. Today is Wednesday. This is the Mike and Dan Show. Mm-hmm. And this is actually the uh, last episode for 2023. Oh, it is. So uh, if, you, if you are joining us for the first time, welcome. You've missed a, uh, a great year in 2023 with the podcast and with business in general. But these Wednesday shows are the ones where I, Mike DeHaan, and my co-host here, Dan Austin, talk about real estate investing and how to make massive income not just passive income with our real estate investing business. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, it has been an interesting December Mm -hmm. in the real estate off-market world because typically we have a pretty significant slowdown this month. In the month of December, at least we have for the past, what, four or five years, however long we've been doing this. And uh, we have not had that. This felt good. That feels really good. It feels strong. Yeah. Yeah, it feels really strong. I mean, in fact, in the week before Christmas, we we had five
1: closings. Whereas like traditionally
0: in December, we have like, one or two closings for the whole
1: month. We have five in a week. Right. Totally. Yeah. Uh, feels good. Got a hat trick. What, yesterday? Three in one day. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So I guess, you know, uh, we had our team sign three
0: in one day, which is always a good feeling, you know, to sort of wrap up December right before Christmas. And uh, yeah, all in all, things are starting to look up. We have been diving into a lot of our preparations for our new. Set up for our community. So, if you're listening to this episode, some things that you will be able to find on the Collecting Keys website, CollectingKeys.com, is you will see that we now have um, our Instant Investor Program is available as a standalone online course that can get you started, and that will have pretty much everything that you would need to know about building a real estate business or getting started with a real estate business, from marketing, how to wholesale, how to do flips, how to do creative financing. That is going to be officially available on January 1st, but you can place
1: a pre-order on the website. Now, that's the same stuff that we were offering to our community only. Exactly. It was originally just for our community, but we are making the course
0: material available to everybody as a standalone purchase. You don't get the community with it, but you can go and run with it if the community is a little bit expensive for you. And then we are shifting our community away from being the Instant Investor Program to instead be our scale community Scale
1: stand no changing it now. Yeah, it's so changing it now. Officially announced it. We talked about that for weeks, trying to figure out that name.
0: Yeah, yeah. The scale community scale uh, stands for scaling cash flow assets leverage and equity. We literally finalized it like two hours ago. Yeah. So I'm still trying to figure it out. <laughs> Either way, I'm super excited about it, and it will be a sort of larger, a, like higher level, um, more focused group on people that are deliberately trying to scale businesses. We have a bunch of new perks for being a part of that community, including a bunch of discounts with mm-hmm. like our mail provider you know, different marketing companies. You're working out some discounts with Lowe's for doing renovations and things like
1: that. We're really at all angles of the business, right? Because we know what everybody in our community needs to run a business, whether that's burring flipping, wholesaling. We all kind of need the same stuff, right? So why not use our community's buying power to negotiate those rates? So being part of the communities is more valuable than not being part of the community. That's the idea, right? Exactly. And we're just sort of
0: reframing it so that that's truly kind of specific and you're not just like paying to get coaching from Dan and I, which is you know I think value a lot of other people think it's valuable So we can offer still worth a lot I mean yeah let's go but we, we can offer more than that yeah. um, and we have a bunch of other things are
1: so working towards it too well, and I think just what we learned from Keyscon our first in-person event was the how valuable the community was to the community that we had created and so it's like now how do we continue to drive value be community driven drive value to the members that is really just adding like get well giving them the ability to scale faster and further than they would otherwise. Because that's the, that's why you join a community. You want to do things faster, better, harder, stronger, whatever. So let's keep driving that value back into the community is really the goal. Exactly. And there's no reason it can't be like a collective where everyone's profiting off each other, you know, and
0: everyone's are each other's success. And then, uh, then finally, we are taking, I guess, uh, applications for people that want to be partners as well and join our partnership program, which we were on hold for for the last four months. But anyways... All that's on collectingkeys.com. I'll quit plugging all of our bullshit so you can go and I uh, check that out on your own if you uh-huh. want to be a part of any of the things we're putting together. But uh, yeah, outside of that, we have had some great conversations though. And I think this is a great topic for the show today around um, sort of like hiring and building a team and trying to figure out how exactly to, I would say like that early scaling phase of this business yep. when you are kind of past the point of figuring out how to generate leads, which most people, they come into our sort of sphere solution to this show thinking that lead flow is the problem. Lead yep. flow in this business is freaking easy. I'm yeah. sorry, but it is. If you're having trouble with lead flow, you're probably just not committing time and money to the right places. You're probably trying to do it the cheap way where you are sitting on a dialer for yourself, mm-hmm. a single line dialer by yourself for one hour a day, right? And not figure trying to figure out why you're not calling, uh, why you're not getting caught up with enough people. It's because you're not doing it right.
1: right. There's You got to you know outsource it, bring on a team, huge direct mail. We can give you a masterclass in 60 minutes on how to generate enough leads that you'll never have to worry about leads again. Totally. Right? It's never the problem. It's, not, it's never the problem.
0: And once people realize that the problem comes when they're in a phase that they have so many leads that they are not sure how to follow up with them, how to close the deals. They're not good at the sales part. They don't like the sales part. They are over committed to their pipeline. And this has been a pretty big conversation in the group of the last little bit. And I thought it would be a great topic of conversation for the show today.
1: I think so, because I feel like people come to us, they're spending money on leads, but they're not getting the conversion that they want. They're maybe making money, but they're not making the money they want. They're just like yeah. being their head off the wall, thinking like, to your point that the marketing needs to be fixed. And we'll help fix that, right? We can kind of optimize that and do some stuff and give you some philosophical kind of points of views on that. Then the others are the people that are coming that, that are starting out. They need to learn how to generate leads. But then once they uh-huh. learn that, then it's how do I make better and more improved conversions? And then how do I go from solopreneur to entrepreneur in your app? This is a topic that's been something you and I have talked about. Just I feel like we're one of the only people in this space doing specifically off-market real estate that really talked about this because that's what our goal has been for so many years now is like, how do you get away from like just making a good profit and scaling to where yeah, yeah. this thing is actually generating income without you having to grind?
0: Exactly. And, and how do you do it without like, sort of hating what you're doing every totally. day? yeah. You know, and I think one of the reasons that people tend to struggle with this and why they tend to think marketing is their problem is because the first step to sort of figuring out how to improve your sales process is by doing some personal internal reflection and probably being honest with yourself that you suck mm-hmm. at the sales process. Yeah. And most people don't want to do that, right? Like they think that they're good or they think they should be better And this is a whole situation that we went through as well. And honestly, what it took was for me to go to my first in-person meetup with our coach back then. And he literally said, he's like, was going through our CRM and he's like, bro, I think you just suck at sales. And I remember being super offended and then thinking about that. And I was like, no, it makes sense. And we hired our first salesperson and we closed like seven deals in the next month, you know, and our entire lives changed because of that. And I was just the business.
1: Absolutely. And there's so many levels where like, having somebody from the outside look at your business and tell you what you need. Because you could also be a rock star at sales, but you're freaking a mess mm-hmm. and disorganized. So when it comes to closing, you're a rock star, but you can't get people to closing table because you don't have the systems or the follow-up or just like the wherewithal to actually follow a process up to that point. So you're just kind of going crazy because we've had great salespeople that still can't close deals because of that, that same problem, mm-hmm. right? No control.
0: Yeah. I mean, we let one go at the who right. is, I would say probably our most potentially talented salesperson that we yeah, had on our team. Absolutely. But he was just so disorganized. It was an absolute frickin' mess. And then the crazy thing is, too, is once we dropped him, we passed up all of his leads to our other sales guys who I would say are less proficient closers, but just followed the process a little bit better. And they closed three, say so they signed three deals that were sitting in his pipeline within the next 48 hours because he had just not been following up
1: appropriately. And I think that's a direct, like, that's proof of the pudding, right? From our internal business where we have a full staff and sales team and we get to see the different personalities and how they play out. If that is not a good example where we're seeing our own business for you to recognize that in your own business, that it might be you or it might be your sales rep or somebody else in your business or you, I don't know what else to tell you if you don't, if you don't see that. But yeah, the one thing that we were talking about before the call that I think kind of leads into this conversation about like hiring and scaling is I was just telling you like, it is super easy to make $100,000. Like I can will my way into making 100000 Like once you learn how to like generate income, we could literally go and I can mow lawns to 100 grand. You know, like I've flippantly said, oh, I could go start a deck building business because some contractor quoted me a ton of money and I go went and did that and made some money doing this. You can make some money wholesaling. I can make 30 grand on a flip. Like you could get yourself to 100 grand working part-time. Mm-hmm. Like, getting to a million dollars of revenue a year, like million dollars of profit, I should say rather, that's freaking hard. It's very challenging. And that's because all of the processes it takes to build and the systems it takes to get to that next level and your idea has to be good. Is it? Right? Because like mowing lawns is probably not a good use of my time, even though I could mow enough lawns to make a hundred grand this year. There's enough time in the year I could figure that business out. But that's not the most efficient use of my time. And so as I'm looking at opportunities, I have more opportunities to make money laid out in front of me then I have time. And so I have to really be selective and it becomes challenging to pick the the winners out of that, to be honest. Yeah. And to pick the winning things that you're going to do for time. And that goes, that all applies right into your business directly. Like, what are the things you are going to be most successful at and what are going to be most efficient with your time to make the most amount of profit?
0: Well, I think it's efficiency and the big thing to sort of get to that million dollar mark, which is always a milestone for most people, is you have to use some kind of leverage. Mm -hmm. Whether that's human leverage, that's financial leverage, doing it yourself as like a solo operator is going to be extremely difficult despite, you know, what people like Alex Hermosi say, he has this whole thing, he's like, oh, I think you can hustle your way to three or four million dollars a year. I was like, maybe you can because you're fucking free. Right. Like, most people can't do that. Like, we're going to burn out, we're going to not be as efficient as as we need to, and to get to, you know, a million dollars, especially in profit, you're going to have to have some sort of team structure, you're going to have some kind of strategy, you are going to have to take risk right? And that's the thing that most people don't want to do. And this is especially true if you're in real estate, Mm -hmm. where our transaction time is extremely high, right? In terms of just like what it actually takes to make money, whether you're wholesaling, it's going to take you three to four months from when the transaction starts to when you get paid. And then if you are flipping properties, it's going to take you even longer, you know, four, five, six months, And if you don't have, like, I would say, like, buffer for that, you don't have any sort of systems in place to get you through that or to, like, manage some of those challenges while those transactions are going on, then you're just going to be in a tough spot, right? And you're always going to be spinning wheels. But, I mean, in terms of, you know, making $100,000, especially in the real estate space, I mean, realistically, that can be less than one wholesale deal a month. If you're doing two wholesale deals a month, you should be making more than that pretty easy. But then to do a million dollars as a wholesale business, that's a lot of transactions. I mean, it's, it's literally, it's 10x that 100,000.
1: Yeah, well, the, and the challenge becomes when you're scaling is there's certain costs that when you hire the person, they're going to increase your revenue. Mm-hmm. And then there's other people and staff. When you're talking about leverage, even if you're leveraging money, like there's a cost associated with that. And so when, when you're using leverage like that, the cost comes out right of the bottom line, right? It comes out of your gross margins and you get down. And so if you hire the wrong people and you let them burn in your business, burn a hole through your business because you're afraid to fire them, that could be a 50, $60,000 a year salary for somebody plus all the other costs associated that with getting them up to speed and training, right? So there's all these costs as you scale. Mm-hmm. So the idea is like you, when you and I first started, it was just me and you, our profit margins were freaking insane right? Oh yeah. 80, 90%. We are doing well. We were efficient. We were lean. We were mean. And then to get beyond that, it's like, okay, now we're at 50%. Now we're at 40. Now you're at 30, right? And so your profit margins naturally go down. Then the goal becomes, how do I optimize the expenses while also growing the top line revenue, which becomes, it's like a two-headed challenge and, and you're constantly chasing your tail. And so like the good thing is, is there's some improvement that you can always make. The bad thing is, is, there are things that can be detrimental to your business that you're not paying attention to because you're focused on the wrong thing. Like, hey, I'm just focused on growing the top line. And I've seen this before. People just keep hiring, hiring, hiring. And all of a sudden the business looks like it's doing great. It's like, look at all those people they have. Mm-hmm. But then you're like, heh, behind the scenes, it's not as good. Like we've seen a lot of companies yeah. like that. And then it falls apart. Totally. Because they're not doing the right things. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. So I used to go back and make this actionable. So somebody is in that position. They are, you know, gratitude through some deals, they're working a lot. How do they figure out, what that first sort of like uh, human leverage should look like. Mm -hmm. How do they determine which person's right for them? How do they begin to find that person? How do they even analyze if they're in the
1: position that that would make sense? The first thing I would start, I would personally start with like without doing anything is just like what feels heavy? What do you not like to do? And what is hard for you to do? What do you like push off to the end of the day? And a part of that, pairing that with like a disc assessment, which is what we use I think helps give clarity to that because you might feel like, man, picking up the phone and calling sellers is so heavy. And you go to a disk and you're like a super high C. Like, yeah, because the high C is more the data driven person, not like the people person, right? And likewise. Yeah, and so the, the C stands for conscientiousness in a disk
0: assessment. If you guys aren't familiar with a disk assessment, is, it, is that like Tony Robbins things that he came up with or is this something before him? I have no idea Okay, came with it. I know he's, he kind of is like famous for using it, but yeah, it's like a, personality set test and disc stands for was it dominant i don't know influential yeah stable and yep. conscientious Something like that yep. and so if you're a high c basically that's the opposite of the high d which is going to be more of a salesperson
1: anyway sorry i just wanted to clarify that right yeah 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 that's no that's a good point because it's easy to overlook that but yeah so i like to do what use your intuition because your intuition Mm -hmm. is going to be better than anything else. And then pairing you with the disc profile, a disc assessment, which hit us up. We can send you a copy of the one we use for free. Like, I guess you could, I don't know, you could pay for them. I, I I don't know if we should give it away for free, but we do. So Whatever <laughs> I don't know,
0: are they are they worth anything? Like the, there's just lots of people that wanna I literally sell them know. online. Right. I
1: don't know if they're like better or worse ones. Yeah, just DM us disk and one of us will send it to you on Instagram or something like that. Yeah, at Mike underscore
0: investor at Investor Man
1: Dan. Right, and so we went through this with our Keys participants. We've gone through this with many people who are coaching them because pairing that with your intuition will actually give you some serious clarity on where you need to start looking. So that's where I say you start.
0: Mm-hmm. For sure, yeah. Like I will also say to you that sometimes the things that feel heavy for you aren't always going to be the things that you need to do right now. Like sometimes Mm -hmm. the things that you need to do are the things that you like, right? But then eventually your wheels will fall off, and this is actually what you see a lot with the people that are good at the sales part: is they're grinding, 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 and they're making money, and that's great. But there's no infrastructure, so eventually things go a little bit awry. They get a little bit tired, and the entire business collapses. Totally. Versus a lot more commonly is people are good at the marketing and the back end office side and they don't like the part that actually makes them money and that's like a sort of different sort of position where the infrastructure is going to be great but there's going to be no actual building going on top of the foundation that they're putting together so but yeah that's a great that's a great way to start approaching it and then without fighting that person right so let's start with just like the sales role in particular I think this is what it usually is for most people especially people that are listening to a show about building a real estate business. Most salespeople, honestly, are not listening to this show. They're shit. They're too ADHD. Yeah,
1: that's true. They aren't trying to learn how to get better. This is true. So here's one thing I would say, even if you're not in a position to hire a salesperson, like you don't even have a business right now, but you know, you're like, yeah, I'm probably not a salesperson. I want to be a wholesaler. I want to get into this stuff. Go and post jobs where you know to post jobs, right? Well, we can dive into good places to do that in a minute, but like go post jobs, Mike and I have been coaching this to people because hiring is something you have to get good at, right? You have to practice. And so go and post jobs and interview people. The only thing you're giving up is some of your time. Who cares, right? Mm -hmm. But see what that looks like. See what the people are out there that are applying for the jobs. See kind of like how you act when you're interviewing them and also learn how to interview and get better at that. And honestly, probably do some research on the best ways to interview. Because I think there are some skills you can build up on interviewing people because Sometimes like you see like newer interview, like people interviewing, like they all of a sudden they're like on interview with the candidate. They're like trying to sell their company. It's like, no, like step back. Like that is part of the process at some point, but really it should be more of a you, you asking questions and them providing the information that you want instead of letting them drive the conversation. So practice and learn interviewing. And I will say some of our best hires are like referrals or people within our direct uh, network and influence. So put it out there. Put it on social media, put it in groups that you're close to or part of, like even if it's a a local RIA group, put it out there and see what comes back. I I would say that's a good place to start.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I think a big thing with hiring, you said there multiple times, you know, practice hiring and going through that process. For some reason, there's like, I think it's because most people's experience with the hiring process is on the other end of the table as the person that is being interviewed. Yeah. And to you, when you're in that position, it's like a very big deal because you're trying to get the job. Right. Honestly, when you're on the other end of the table, you're the one with power. Right. Right. You can totally, like if you want to, as an employer,
1: you can ask whatever question you want. And then to we'll get like slapped for some sort of like thing. I don't know. No, I mean, but like it doesn't have to be <laughs> some like weird corporate style questioning, right? Like you should no. definitely follow like, you know, equal opportunity <laughs> employment questioning, but like. For sure. Right.
0: But, But point being, you can interview 25 people and hire none of them Mm -hmm. just because you want to practice interviewing, okay? There is no problem with doing that. And honestly, if you go through that sort of exercise and your intention is to interview 25 people to practice hiring, you will probably find someone that fits what you're looking for. Honestly. Just because you had the intention of, instead of saying, I need to get someone for this role and you're kind of thirsty, you're like, I need to have as many hiring conversations as I can And you will probably have more authentic conversations. And because you're looking at that larger metric of having more, you know, potential conversions, you're going to find someone. Totally. Versus I think where a lot of people get in trouble is they're like, I need to hire someone ASAP. So they go and they hire the first person that applies and they're like, I need to put someone in this role and they just bring them on, which is, you know, okay. Like one of the things that we've been saying a lot to our group is when you're a small business, you need to hire fast and fire faster, right? As opposed, you know, I hear a lot of people say hire slow and fire fast. And if you're working for a massive company, that's totally true, especially if you have like these different HR restrictions and things like that about how you release people. But when like somebody's coming to work for you or your business of like
1: three people, you can bring someone out of fire them the next day if you want to. It doesn't freaking matter. Exactly. There's no in-between process, right? There's no approvals. It's like, hey, they're not a good fit. And I'll be honest, like when you have to fire or terminate people, generally speaking, they know they're not, it's not a good fit. Dude, I don't think we've ever fired somebody where they didn't kind of know that it was coming. Right. In my, all my experiences, no matter where you're at, like that's, that's what happens. And it really does. The hire fast, hire faster makes a lot more sense to me now, as we've grown our business. If you're, you're listening, where a lot of people get all their information from is like their, this idea when it comes to hiring and stuff is like corporate world, right? And how that looks. And that's a totally, it's just honestly, totally different than small business. It's totally different than an off market real estate business. You know, you're at some conference and there's some dude up there who's the CEO of big name company and they're telling you, hire hire slow, fire fast. And You're like, absolutely. You know, when you hired your COO and grew a Fortune 500 company, that was the right move. Mm-hmm. But when you're trying to like hire an acquisition manager to, to flip a few more houses, like, no, you don't have, you, you can't waste time. You can't let them burn too many of your leads. So you need to fire them fast if they're not working out. And you need somebody in that role so you can get to the next level so you can scale. And so you can't spend six to 12 months courting an acquisition manager that's going to make 60 to 100 grand a year. It's not the same. They're not the same. Not even close.
0: You know, you can't be like having a, a small mom-and-pop business and trying to make decisions like Bob Iger, like your CEO of freaking Disney.
1: You know, it's it's not even comparable. He's got a lot of great advice, but hiring for your small business is probably not the same.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that's just the problem with a lot of like general educational stuff that's out there too is... Totally, you know, it's, it's like blanket advice. And, and here's the thing as well. If you learn from a lot of different like business books or business speakers, realize they're all just recycling the same stuff that they have learned throughout the years, especially yeah. with books these days. Like so we crap. talked about this a little while ago. Everyone has a freaking book. Mm-hmm. None of them are credible. And it, it's funny. I actually heard Hermosi talk about this on a different podcast not too long ago. He was saying like books used to be written by people that wanted to pass knowledge onto the next generation. Now books are mostly written to people by written by people that have some sort of agenda or something that they want to sell.
1: Absolutely you could put it on your Instagram or something like that. Or they're seeking some sort of clout.
0: Right. You know when when Carnegie wrote uh, how to make friends and influence people, he wasn't like, you know what, I need a freaking book. He was already Carnegie right? He'd already like made his money. And he's like, I want to pass this on as like a timeless thing. And that's why that book is like considered a great book. Awesome. Most business books that come out now, they're just fluff of the same bullshit that they have heard. They've probably never acted on, right? right, Over a long period of time. And they've just put it into another book so that they can try and sell you on whatever their little group is or a different thing where they aren't actually operators in whatever they're trying to sell you.
1: They are just learned how to consume and regurgitate. Yeah, they're basically taking what was a blog post and instead of having backlinks, turned each of those into like a chapter of their book. Like it's just regurgitation of the same information that's out there, readily available. And by the way, I mean, most books don't need to be read anyways. No, And so like then you have a book that really sucks anyhow, so there's no point in reading it. Yeah, but hey, I got to read my 57 books a year. Whatever,
0: I want to do more than one a week. That's my goal. Man. Um, So anyway, but back to the hiring conversation though. It's funny, I feel like for most people that first hire is always the most challenging because it you know, feels like you're gonna start dating somebody. It's like there's this extra commitment.
1: So well, let's talk about that actually. Let's talk about what are those reasons that we've heard time and time mm-hmm. again and that we experienced that you're worried, right? Like what would keep you from just going and hiring somebody?
0: Yeah, so the, the biggest one, and this is one that came up on our coaching call today, which I think is so interesting because everyone always does this, where everyone's trying to figure out, especially in the sales role, how they can bring someone in but not pay them anything, mm-hmm. okay? So people are like saying, well, if I bring someone on part-time, I can probably justify paying them a commission only. If I bring someone on as a partner and they have ownership in it, then they might not expect a base pay because they going to have more upside. Uh-huh. None of that makes any freaking sense, okay? Like if you honestly think about it because you are now looking for someone to come in with either no real stake in the game or you're gonna give them a portion of your business or you're looking for someone to come in and treat your job like working for you as a like side hobby or like a side gig. Yeah. Which
1: is not going to move you forward. That's never good. It never works out.
0: Realistically, you can bring someone on, you know, like say a salesperson's example, for two to $3,000 a month base pay, plus a commission structure that makes sense for your business, whether for, like for us, it's a flat fee, because we're a volume business. Yeah, if you're a less volume business, you probably need to do some kind of percentage commission so they make an appropriate amount of money. Okay, you can bring that person on, let's just say $2,000 base pay. You have them for three months. Okay, that's $6,000. If they are not closing deals for you within one or two months, you need to drop that person. That's a $4,000 risk for something that is an exponential upside, right? And for some reason, people have a really hard time making that $4,000 investment in that person, but they won't blink their eyes twice at putting another $4,000 into marketing to go and generate more leads that they're already not following up with and not closing.
1: Totally. So why is it different? It doesn't make any sense. So the thing that I want to make two points here. One point you you said on a coaching call was exactly what you're talking about. Is like think about instead of buying more marketing, just pay pay for this person's base pay and get that person in the role, right? Because there's no point in buying more marketing if you're telling me the problem is you're not closing enough deals, but you have leads that you're not you're not because mm-hmm. that's usually the problem. Is people aren't able to close enough deals because they're not able to do enough follow-up. But the other point I want to make is how we know this to be true. Because this has happened to us time and time again and all the way back to when we first started. we hired a person, we gave her a base pay and a percentage commission. She had zero real estate experience, zero sales experience. Mm-hmm. And she started closing deals within her first week, right? Because we had the leads. Yeah. We had the leads. Right, they were already sitting there, and there were things, there were appointments we went on that we still couldn't close. She's made the same appointments and closed those people, right? So you don't have to have experience. So when we're reflecting back, we're not we're not better at hiring, or haven't necessarily been better at hiring than a new person because we've gone through that, and so we understand like that when you get a person in there, you're going to know if they're a mismatch right away, right? Because they're not closing deals. If a if a lady that had no experience in anything was able to close deals then, I mean, your person should be able to close deals regardless.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, we've seen that repeatedly across our business, across other businesses. You know, another way to look at it too is, okay, so you have some extra money that you need to spend on your business. Would you rather spend $2,000 right now to get 30 more leads or to have the potential to close two or three more deals, right? Most people would rather spend the $2,000 to close two or three more deals than have 30 more leads. Totally.
1: Yeah. And I think too, think about this, the other... The second thing, you're talking about not paying them. Like people are always worried about paying them. So to close the door on that one, that is like, make that as an investment. Instead of paying for marketing, assuming you already have leads, just make that in it. That's a marketing investment, right? Mm -hmm. Because also they can be prospecting too in their free time. Exactly. Which brings me to the other point, which is the other gripe that a lot of people have when they're hiring, the fear, the risk is, I don't think I have enough work for this person. But generally, if you've been marketing, you probably have enough leads in your CRM right? That's I mean, a- I don't know. What are your thoughts here?
0: Yeah, I mean, you should have enough leads in your CRM in some capacity. So if you've been marketing for a couple of months, you know, and you've been doing at some reasonable volume, marketing for a couple couple of months and you're sitting on a single line dialer for an right. hour a day, or you've been spending $500 a month on direct mail, you probably have no leads. But if you have been going through kind of like we go through in, in our group or we teach in our instant investor course, three to $4,000 a month for a few months, you've been running some consistent SMS, some consistent cold calling. You probably have somewhere between 50 and 70 leads, right? That is enough to get someone started. And so many people are worried like, well, I don't have enough to do that consistently until I close more deals. Bring that person in and then in their off time, exactly like you said, Dan, they can be prospecting for you. Like as part of their job, they are highly incentivized to close more deals. If they need more opportunities, use them as a source of lead gen. You know, have them sit on the dock, have them do the estimates, have them go and do door knocking for you. and. It's funny because I think that the fact that there are these companies that exist that use like VAs for that, people feel like you can't use American staff for the same thing. It's like, well, realtors freaking cold call themselves. That's like a whole part of like a lot of salespeople cold call. A lot of people do. And I I don't know why in the real estate space, just because you can easily hire a Filipino cold caller, they think that their American based salesperson shouldn't do that. If that's where you're at in your business, that that's what's needed, then they need to do that. And if uh-huh. they don't want to, then incentivize them in some way. Pay them a little bit extra if it's a lead that they generate with their prospecting. That's totally fine. Totally,
1: It's a good way to get reps too. Think about that too is like, uh-huh. it's a good way for them to get reps and to learn. And I haven't ever heard of anybody that started out cold calling that ended up becoming suc- a successful salesperson that was like, man, glad that I never did it net- that cold calling, what a waste of time! They never say. They're like, "That's how I cut my teeth. That's how I learned these skills." Right. So it's not a bad thing to do, mm-hmm. and it's a great way for them to prospect and for you to increase your lead flow without increasing your cost to do so.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, in fact, that's always one of the big Dick measuring contests they always have. Is people will be like, "I did nothing but cold called for two straight years. Right. Yeah, <laughs> right. And I made yeah. no money for year one, but I did it every day. And I will absolutely admit that that probably." fit a lot of toughness to their skin and showed them how to do some grit. That's actually true. I'm going to say most people probably lie and exaggerate when they say that
1: because that is crazy. But so the other thing now that we, I hear and I see is the risk of turning their business over to a salesperson because they're worried about running Mm -hmm. comps. They're worried about the salesperson negotiating on a contract that they'll have to like uphold. Like, I mean, what do you think? I mean, truth to that, no truth to that.
0: Well, this is always such a funny thing to me as well, because at this point, they want their salesperson to come in and completely run their entire business as a, as a sole employee, which doesn't make sense. Really what it should look like and what it looked like for us for years is your salesperson is out there, you know, calling the leads, working Mm -hmm. the leads, building rapport, representing your company. But you as the person that is signing that contract should be the one that is underwriting these deals. Right. You know, and people are always like, well, how do you incentivize your salesperson to get good deals? It's like, because I determine the max offer, right? And if you, if you give them too much leeway, they're always going to be coming up to where it's real tight. And, you know, if you are the one that kind of can veto everything or push everything through, then they are going to, like, meet those numbers. They're not going to be just, like, locking up stuff too high or putting you into a weird position because you don't give them the opportunity when you're the boss, that's the ultimate thing: is that you're the boss in the situation. You can have someone that's a good friend, or someone that you know you have a good connection with that works for you, but you still need to be the authority figure.
1: Absolutely. And a couple tips that we've learned over the years here: the first one being is don't let the salesperson get in the groove of just calling you and saying we got a lead. What do you want me to do? Yes, give them and force them to do basic underwriting. If somebody calls in and they say they want five hundred thousand dollars for their property, and you go to this estimate and it's two hundred and fifty, and they're just there's no distress, there's no reason for them to be selling their property. You're gonna waste your time having to underwrite that deal. So you want them to go into that understanding what's going on, be able to do quick just comping. Look at this estimate, look at what's going on around it in the market and comparing that with what the seller, like why did they call what their lead is against your script when they're when you're doing an intake call. So that that's a good one. And then to your point, the other tip is like, you're underwriting these deals, and so making sure that you're just sticking to your underwriting and you're not like giving your salesperson all this extra leeway because what happens we had this before is like them trying to sell you on the property and so really getting them in the rhythm and understanding that your underwriting is your underwriting like that's the bottom line and this is your business and you're you're the one taking the risk of acquiring these properties putting them in a contract so that you're not having to have these battle conversations because they're going to get commission breath right they're going to be thirsty to do deals and they're going to try to sell you on these deals when there's really not a deal there. Mm -hmm. Of course. I mean, it's human nature. Like they have
0: their own best interests and they will work with you when they're in a good spot. But if they start to get into a tough pinch or things aren't going well for them, which will happen, they will sort of push back on you for stuff. But that's also part of the business, right? That's how it works.
1: Absolutely. And there's some management skill in there. So the last one, though, I want to bring up unless you have anything else to close out on that point. Nope. So the last one is people are worried that they're going to bring somebody in. they're training their competition. Yeah, who cares? Right, who cares? <laughs> like, Have we ever had an employee successfully operate an off-market real estate business that works for us? No, they've certainly tried. Mm-hmm. Right. You know,
0: but the, the funny the funny thing is, is and I, I think you put this really well on our coaching call today, the fact that you're even in a position where you are hiring people or you've gotten to the point that you need to hire somebody makes you different from most other people, right? Like most people that are out there seeking jobs, or they're looking to work for people, and this is 99.9% of humans, they yeah. do not have what it takes to be an entrepreneur. And here's the thing is, if let's say you do come in, someone does come in, you train a competition, they go out and they crush it. Hopefully you treated that person well, and you all guys will right. make money together. Totally, absolutely. You know? There's 400 million people in the United States. There's like, was like 50, 60 million houses, yeah. something like that. You only need to do like 40 or 50 a year to make a shit ton of money. right. Like there's, there's more than enough for everybody.
1: There's plenty of opportunity out there, man. And that, that also goes to like how people see their competition in their local market is like, I see them generally speaking as more of an asset than competition because you can Mm -hmm. find, you will find opportunities to work with them to make money. And there's still a ton of Of opportunity out there for you both or the 10 or 20 of you to operate in that market.
0: Yeah. I mean, and, and we practice that. You know, as much as we preach that as well, because I, even within our community we have people in there that are within our own market. Totally. I remember when we first started, people were like, are, "Isn't it weird that there's people in the Spokane? You're teaching them how to market new sales." I'm like, "No. Yeah. They're gonna go out. They're gonna make their money. We're gonna make our money. And you know, the best thing is, is we've done deals together collaboratively. Absolutely. Because we're all running the same systems, we can verify that they're a good person, they're an A player because they're in our circle, uh-huh. and so it's easy to have a level of trust. Totally. You know, because they're they're part of our community. I don't know, it, it, like that, there's so many different mindset changes that have, people have to go through from understanding like sort of how to be a manager to having that abundance mindset to understanding that like you are going to have people that come in and aren't going to work out and people, you know, are an expendable asset in your business. And that's totally fine. Uh-huh. But I think that a lot of those challenges are things that inhibit people from really being able to grow but are things that you need to overcome if you really want to grow a business and not just be, you know, working your fingers to the bone every single day.
1: Absolutely. And don't be afraid to lean into this. Don't be afraid to lean in. Mm-hmm. Don't let this, don't let the hiring or your fear of what will happen on the other side of that, you know, keep you from scaling your business or keep you from getting to the next level. Because a lot of times people are like, I don't ever want to have employees. That's why they, uh-huh. they don't want to be in a business where they have to work with other people. They want to be a sole and That's great. But in reality, in this industry, in this business, we know where you can go with that. And usually most people either quit or they bump up against the ceiling and they need to bring somebody in. Yeah, 100%. You know, and we've talked about this for what,
0: 35 minutes. We did like basically a whole two day seminar just on hiring at KeysCon. There's a lot. There's so many different things we could go to down this path. So if you want to dive more into that, go to collectingkeys.com and check out our uh, Uh instant investor group and our scale community. I oh, looked that as officially, I would say like rebranding on January 1st. So cool. Right on. Anything you finish up? Nope, I'm good. Right on guys. Well, thanks so much. We appreciate you all listening. Happy new year to everybody. We will talk to you guys next year. And uh, yeah, follow me on Instagram at Mike underscore invest. Check out Dan at Investor Man Dan and go to collectingkeys.com to check out all of our new offerings. For you. Besides that guys, we appreciate you all and yeah. we'll talk to you next week. See y'all.